This is First Farragut United Methodist Church's podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today we continue our sermon series, Hebrews, Faith That Endures. The writers of Hebrews remind the readers of those who went before them. They endured hard times, making it through their difficulties by carrying the baton of faith. And now, here's our message. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews eleven nineteen through 12, 2. Because he was sure that God could raise people to life, this was just like getting Isaac back from death. Isaac had faith, and he promised blessings to Jacob and Esau. Later, when J- Jacob was about to die, he leaned on his walking stick and worshipped. Then, because of his faith, he blessed each of Joseph's sons. And right before Joseph died, he had faith that God would lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. So he told them to take his bones with them. Because Moses' parents had faith, they kept him hidden until he was three months old. They saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's orders. Then after Moses grew up, his faith made him refuse to be called the king's grandson. He chose to be mistreated with God's people instead of having the good time that sin could bring for a little while. Moses knew that the treasures of Egypt were not as wonderful as what he would receive from from suffering for the Messiah, and he looked forward to his reward. Because of his faith, Moses left Egypt. Moses had seen the invisible God and wasn't afraid of the king's anger. His faith also made him celebrate Passover. He sprinkled the blood of animals on the doorposts so that the firstborn sons of the people of Israel would not be killed by the destroying angel. Because of their faith, the people walked through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do it, they were drowned. God's people had faith, and when they had walked around the city of Jericho for seven days, its walls fell down. Rahab had been a prostitute, but she had faith and welcomed the spies. So she wasn't killed with the people who disobeyed. What else can I say? There isn't enough time to tell about the Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Their faith helped them conquer kingdoms, and because they did right, God made promises to them. They closed the jaws of lions and put out raging fires and escaped from the swords of their enemies. Although they were weak, they were given the strength and power to chase foreign armies away. Some women received their loved ones back from death. Many of these people were tortured, but they refused to be released. They were sure they would get a better reward when the dead are raised to life. Others were made fun of and beaten with whips, and some were chained in jail. Still others were stoned to death or sawed in two or killed with swords. Some had nothing but sheepskins or goatskins to wear. They were poor, mistreated, and tortured. The world did not deserve these good people who had to wander in deserts and on on mountains and had to live in caves and holes in the ground. All of them pleased God because of their faith, but still they died without being given what had been promised. This was because God had something better in store for us, and he did not want them to reach the goal of their faith without us. Such a large crowd of witnesses is all around us. 
So we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially that sin that just won't let go. And we must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. We must keep our eyes on Jesus, who leads us and makes our faith complete. He endured the shame of being nailed to a cross because he knew that later on he would be glad he did. Now he is seated at the right hand of God's throne. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my earliest memories contains my grandfather. In fact, most of my childhood memories contained my grandparents. But in this particular memory, um, I don't know if I actually remember it as in remember experiencing it or so much that I've been told the story over and over and over again that I actually remember it. I was about two years old. And we, my grandfather and my grandmother, were walking around the house that we were building at the time, my, the house I grew up in, the house my sister now owns. And in the part of the house that would be the garage was a hole. And I fell in the hole. I was two toddlers, something like that, years old. I fell in the hole. Now, I can hear my grandmother saying, Clyde, I told you to watch her. But I can also hear Granddaddy saying, yeah, she's going to do what she wants to do anyway. And so in the hole, I went. Now, my grandfather is a larger, was a larger-than-life kind of man. Not, not so much at 97 when he died, but years ago, he was a tall man. I think probably in the range of 6'3", big, big man. And the story says that as I fell in this hole, all you could see were my little fingers at the edge of this hole saying, Granddaddy, Granddaddy, save me. And so my grandfather came, and he picked me up out of that hole, and he put me all the way up on those big, tall shoulders. And I remember looking down at the hole that did look like the Grand Canyon when I was in it a whole lot like the size of a hole that you would put a tulip bulb in. When we stand on someone's shoulders, the challenges that we face don't seem so insurmountable. The phrase standing on someone's shoulders is, is, is actually a metaphor that's come to imply building upon the previous experience or understandings of others. It means that we lean upon the support of others and when we do that, we realize we're not alone. We stand on someone's shoulders when we do that. We have a, a broader perspective. We can see things from a different perspective. And standing on someone's shoulders gives us the courage or the strength or the endurance to continue on. We started last week looking in the book of Hebrews. Four weeks, we're going to be looking at what we call the book of Hebrews and it is a story, these last portions of it, of standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before. The author of Hebrews, we don't really know who it was. Some, we used to speculate it was Paul, but it, it, most scholars believe it's not now. Was writing to new communities of faith, church starts, we would call them, that were meeting in homes throughout the region we call Palestine, and they were wanting to give up or being tempted to give up on their faith in Jesus. 
because they were being ridiculed or, or shamed or made fun of by their other Jewish friends of the Jewish religion because at this point, for the most part, they were what we call Jewish Christians, meaning Jewish descent, such as Jesus, and then they began to put faith in Jesus. So as they were doing that, they were being shamed by their other Jewish families. And so the temptation was to give up because it would have been much easier to go back to the comforts that they had in their own circles of influence, their, their friends, their family, their church, we would call it. So the author of Hebrews is writing to remind them that they stand on the shoulders of many who went before them, who endured hardship and trials, and they still persevered, which makes Hebrews a book of endurance, not just grit your teeth kind of endurance, but an encouraging endurance. These last three chapters of Hebrews that we're focusing on, especially in chapter 11 that we began last week and finished this, read this week, call, are often called what we call the hall of faith, where there's a whole bunch of people listed and it says, by faith they did this, by faith they did that, by faith they did this, and on and on the list goes. We looked at Abraham and Sarah mostly last week, and there's a whole bunch in the list that we read today. We won't go through all of them. You're welcome. I want lunch too. But there's some people in here that in their stories we can find ourselves and find the courage and the strength to go on. Some of them are groups of people. Some of them are individuals. One that we come to is simply called the people. And one of the verses that we read, we're told, because of their faith, the people walked through the Red Sea on dry land. The people being referred to there are the thousands upon thousands of Hebrew ancestors, the Jewish people, who were being led out of slavery from Egypt. Rewind last week when we talked about Abraham. God had promised Abraham to make his descendants as numerous as the stars. And God had promised to give Abraham and his family a portion of land. Some 600 years have passed at this point, And now they're finally about to be led into that land. Two things at this point stand in their way. One, a river. Behind them is Pharaoh and his army in hot pursuit because he's changed his mind and he's going to recapture them and put them back in slavery. And so they start to grumble. Uh, Moses, why did you bring us out here just so that we can either drown or so that Pharaoh's army can kill us? Why'd you do that, Moses? So Moses goes to God and he says, um, we have a problem here, God. God said to Moses, just keep moving forward and hold out your walking stick over the water. Moses held out his staff, the waters parted, the people walked through. Now Moses did his part. Moses listened to God, Moses did what God said, but the people, the people had a choice. Were they going to walk through the waters and risk it or not? What we can see in those thousands upon thousands of people in their faith is that when you know you're not alone, you're willing to take a risk. Our faith is strengthened and encouraged through each other, 
through the faith of others. So often I hear people say, my relationship with God is just fine. I don't need a community of faith or what we would call a church. And my question to that is, really? How do you know? How do you know it can actually be better when you get plugged into a community of faith and you journey through life together? Would you rather walk through mounds of water on both sides alone or knowing you have people with you? By faith, we keep walking until God parts the waters. Then we come to another group of people in our reading that says God's people had faith and they, plural, they, walked around the city of Jericho for seven days and the walls came tumbling down. Now, you English teachers, I apologize. You know the song that Joshua did what? Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. I know. That is not the past tense of fight. It's not how it goes. But actually, Joshua didn't really have to do anything to fight or fit the battle of Jericho. Sometime after the people had gotten into the, or on the cusp of the promised land, they needed to conquer the cities that were in there, and one of which was called Jericho. It was a massive city with a fortified wall all the way around the city. And so they're wondering, huh, how are we going to do that? So God said, Joshua, who was the leader, take all of your fighting men, take all of your religious people, your priests, take all the horns, all the drums, walk around that city and dance and sing for seven days. Now you know the people in Jericho are looking at them going, what are these idiots doing? But sure enough, seven days, the walls came down. What we see in their level of faith is that they had to be willing to do something that defied logic. No military general is going to tell you, beat the drums, sing and dance, and walk around the walls and expect it to come down. That's not going to work. They had to be willing to do something that made zero sense whatsoever. And they had to be willing to do it together. One person dancing around those walls wasn't going to get it done. They had to do it together. Then we see another example of one person. One single person. Her name is Rahab. She's an outsider. She's not even one of the Jewish people. She's not one of the Hebrews of, of, that had been rescued out of slavery. In fact, she lives in Jericho the very city that they were trying to conquer. And she's a prostitute. She's never heard a single word of the teaching of God. She had no clue about the Hebrew God. In fact, the authorities of her city told all of them, if you welcome any of these Jewish people into this city, they will be arrested and you will be punished as well. But they began to send, the Jewish people sent some scouts, some spies, to go scope out the land. This was before the walls of Jericho came down. And so they send these spies, and Rahab welcomes them into her home, and she hides them when the rulers of her own city come looking for them. And we're told that she was credited as having faith because she did that. Now that is one person who acted alone. And that person was an outsider. That person was someone who had zero understanding of God. And I'll be perfectly honest with you, that is a, someone that I draw a significant amount of comfort from. 
you may think you don't know enough. You may think you don't know the Bible very well. You may not have a theological thought or bone in your body. You may think you have too much of a jaded past that God could never use you or love you or forgive you. But what Rahab's story shows us is that God can, God does, and God will love and use all people to share the love of Jesus. Rahab's story shows us that God works through just one person willing to take a risk. And on the list goes Gideon, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, Barak. Now, Barak's an interesting story. He was a military general in the time before they had kings when the people were ruled by judges, and there was a judge named Deborah. She was a ruler. Yes, there were women being used in power in the ancient world. And she heard God speak to her and said, Barak, take a thousand men and go fight this king named Sisera. He's a military man, and he says, okay, I'll do it, but only if you go with me. Now, what's this military general with a thousand fighting men need with her? He knew enough to know that his skill and his men and God's working would work, but her presence reminded them of God's faithfulness and symbolized a link between what God had said to do and what God would do. They both worked together. Finally, the author summarizes the list with this. He says, therefore, such a large crowd of witnesses is all around us. So we must get rid of everything that slows us down. And we must be determined to run the race that is ahead of us. We must keep our eyes on Jesus, who leads us and makes our faith complete. He's writing to remind them, saying, see, see, all of these people against the odds, against the challenges, the hurts, the griefs, the doubts, they did it, and we can too. But, he writes, we must be willing to get rid of anything that stands in the way. The beauty of the list of people that we find in Hebrews 11 is that we can find ourselves in just about any of them. In some cases, they needed each other to move forward. In some cases, they needed the faithfulness of only one or a few to move forward. In some cases, they had doubts, which was evident by their grumbling. In some cases, it seemed like they just had blind faith. And in some cases, the people were closely connected to God, and in others, they weren't. But in all cases, they were simply ordinary people who faced challenges and endured by faith. One of the questions for us to consider is what do we need to shed? I'm not talking about pounds. That's a sermon for January. But spiritually speaking, what is it that we need to shed that weighs us down? Is it worry? fear, those are both very natural and sometimes very healthy emotions. They lead us to a place of pain to want to change things. But they can sometimes get in the way. 
You know, I love that Jesus said in one of, his, one of his parables, he says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you'll drink. I wanted to say, Jesus, have you ever seen inflation? Or Jesus, have you ever experienced depression or anxiety? Jesus did, actually. He knows those are real. But when we focus on the worry and the fear, we focus on the problem. The author reminds us, keep your eyes on Jesus. That focuses on the solution. What else stands in the way? Anger, bitterness, grief, loss over what we're experiencing in our individual lives, in our society, in our church. When we focus on those things, we focus on the problem. But the author reminds us, keep your eyes on Jesus. So the question is, what are you focusing on in your situation? You all have individual situations. What are you focusing on? Whatever it is that keeps you honed in on the problem rather than the solution. When I was in that hole, also called the Grand Canyon, I couldn't see a solution. The hole was too deep and I was too short. I could not see a way out. But when I stood on Granddaddy's shoulders, the problem seemed a lot smaller. Allow me to share with you a little bit on whose shoulders we, First Farragut, stand on. By faith, this is our chapter 11 of Hebrews. <laughs> By faith, some folks in the Holston Conference of the United Methodist Church some 40 plus years ago answered a call to start a church in Farragut. It was the first church start in 20 some odd years. We stand on their shoulders. By faith, they saw a need in this area of Farragut that looked vastly different those years ago than it does today. But they saw a need for a community of faith to be a church family, to be support to families who were moving into this area. There were parents moving in with their children whose grandparents were somewhere else. There were grandparents here whose grandchildren were somewhere else. And they saw a need and answered a call to be a faith community for others. We stand on their shoulders. By faith, they met in the small auditorium of Farragut High School. And over the years, they began to need to build a building in which they built, it's now called Click Funeral Home, and they were in there for, what, 15 years, something like that? But by faith, their passion and dedication to be family and love and support to others, the church grew by leaps and bounds. And so by faith, the leaders discerned it was time to build a larger building. Some of you remember those conversations. Long, arduous effort of discernment and fundraising and building. We stand on their shoulders. And by faith, they and we have persevered some 18 plus years, paying for this building and this land through multiple and significant challenges. Division, economic crash of 2008, multiple pastors, and on and on it goes, but friends, we're still here, and we stand on their shoulders. A 
pandemic later and all the hurt and the agony and the grief that came with that. And here we are in the Western world at a time in which the church is hemorrhaging. We're at a crossroads where our faith and our busy lives are at odds. But by faith, we're still here. And we stand on the shoulders of all of those who put forth and poured blood, sweat, and tears so that we have a community of faith. And you know what? It is by faith that we will not only endure, but we will rebuild from these pandemic days. And by faith, we will continue our vision, our original calling to be a source of support to families Family means a lot of things. It doesn't mean mom, dad, and 2.5 children. I know this. I'm a single mom myself. Family means a lot of things, and it means a lot of ages. It means, actually, being the church of Jesus Christ. If we hold true to our calling to share the love of Jesus, by faith, friends, we will endure And we stand on the shoulders of those who had that vision and answered that call. So I challenge you to dream. Where by faith is God calling you to take a risk and serve? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our sermon series, Hebrews, Faith That Endures. The writer of Hebrews was trying to get down to what really mattered for the Christians to whom he wrote. He writes of a loving God who creates, renews, and transforms. He also shares that our faith can be shaken, but we can emerge even stronger. See you then.